0: Wouldn't you, agree? Wouldn't you agree? I got five dollars, this is a run <laughs> to the left.
2: How many tackles can one man break? <laughs> You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable?
0: Humans need fantasy to be human. Woo! My goodness. That was good. You guys are pros. The bats.
3: Relentless, refusing to give up. Alright, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance.
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Fantasy Flex Podcast. I am your host, Chris Raybon, here with my dude, my colleague, and the number one ranker on Fantasy Pros over the last three years, Sean Kerner. So, Sean, congratulations on
3: that. What's going on? Yeah, thanks. But that that was surprising to see. I mean, I finished uh, 16th last year, but um, it's good to see that you know over the past three seasons. Uh, I came out on top, so lo- love seeing all the hard work pay off. Yeah, the standard deviation is low, so we, we like <laughs> yeah, it. We like exactly. it
2: exactly.
3: You know? uh, but
2: I'm also excited to, for you guys out there because um, you know if you are if you followed me, if you've been following me, you know that I used to do a podcast for DFS MVP, uh, and my co-host on that podcast is our guest today. He is the director of DFS for four for four, still hosts the DFS MVP podcast. We got TJ Hernandez in the house. TJ, what's going on?
1: Yo, yo, what's up, guys? Uh, Happy to be here, like always. Excited to talk about some tight ends today. And uh, damn, I guess we're kind of kicking off uh, August 1st, really just kicking off uh, fantasy season today.
2: Oh, yeah. We got, you know, we got the Deshaun Watson suspension news uh, today, which people seem to think was too lenient, but, you know, the sixth game. So, yeah, it feels like we're back. You know, training camp's in full effect. Uh, We're getting those, you know, day-by-day beat reports now, uh, which I love to read and, and see what's going on. So. Hall of um, Fame yep. game this yep. week. Yep, Hall of Fame game coming Not up. So,
3: about.
2: yeah, should be a good show. Uh, as TJ mentioned, we'll talk tight ends. We'll go through um, the top 12 in ADP. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, anyone we like outside of there uh, as well. Uh, before we jump in, our contest winner for this week, who gets a free year of Action Pro, is Dan Franchise. Uh, thanks, Dan, for the review. Uh, shouts to you for avoiding that Saquon Barkley landmine last <laughs> season. Uh, Hit up podcast at actionnetwork.com to claim your free year of Action Pro, which comes with our weekly rankings and all that good stuff. And uh, for all you listening out here, if you appreciate the pod, if you enjoy the pod, uh, go to Apple, leave us a review. We'll pick our favorite five-star review uh, each week uh, to give you uh, a free year uh, of Action Pro. So get on that. Uh, We're going to get on to tight ends. And TJ, I want to start before we jump into uh, each player, each tight end. I just want to ask you, like, in DFS, I feel like we often tend to kind of find ourselves following what's called the barbell strategy at tight end, which you're either paying up for a stud, whoever has the best matchup or the, you know, stud with the best value that week, or you're paying way down and looking for a discount. Um, Do you think that strategy translates uh, to kind of traditional and redraft fantasy this year where it's like stud or or weight, or are you taking a different approach?
1: Yeah, I I think from a traditional redraft perspective, like historically, or when I say historically, I mean recent history. We've seen some of the biggest positional advantage come from early round tight ends, and that's been weighted by guys like Kelsey and and Gronk. And you could say that um, you know you're not going to have those guys every year, but like that type of tight end is is really can not just dominate the real NFL, but can dominate fantasy. And I I think when we're talking about redraft, ninety nine point 9% of people that are playing redraft are playing in home leagues. So I actually think that if you're playing in your regular home league, that the advantage there can actually be amplified because not only can you get a dominant player at tight end at a position that, uh, that, that you can really separate yourself from the field, but in your home league, if you're listening to a podcast like this, you're probably well ahead of the field in terms of player projections, in terms of getting value, other positions. So I think it's a really good way to dominate your draft uh, from, from beginning to end. Now, if you get in some of our, you know, expert leagues or whatnot, that might vary a little bit, but for, for the average listener, I think it's um, I, I really trend towards that barbell strategy where if I don't get those guys, there is that big dead zone. And and I w- would rather end up streaming throughout the season or something like that, especially this year. I think it's a, a tight end is we, we say deep. Um, I, I mean that's not like tight end one upside, but usable weeks. I think it's a little bit deeper this year.
2: John, um, you know to TJ's point, he kind of alluded to you know feeling like he has the confidence to you know you know take that stud early and, and still be able to kind of build around that. and I know something, that's something you talk about as well is like you feel confident in your ability um, to draft, even if you are going and taking, you know, a Z position early. So um, is, is what kind of approach are you taking uh, at tight end this year?
3: Yeah, so it's similar uh, this year where I think, you know, getting one of these top two tight ends um, gives you a pretty big leg up uh, against the field. The, the drop off between, say, Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts at tight end three is the biggest drop off at any single position. Um, so I think it is important, you know, if you can to get one of those top two. But I I have to say, like, if you have, if you're in a 12 team league and you have picks one through six, you're not getting either tight end because a, it's probably too early to take either one of them and B, none of them are going to make it back. So my tight end strategy depends on what draft slot you get. And I I just let the position come to me. Sometimes you can get a guy that falls way too far and you're in a spot, um, you know, with your roster builder, you're like, okay, I'm going to take a a stab on this tight end. Uh, And I say, go for it. But, Uh, you know, TJ mentioned that dead zone. I think it is important to mention that once you get outside, say the top six or seven tight ends, you really just drafting guys that are sitting on top of like a massive waiver wire tier where we're going to see two to three tight ends emerge as every week, you know, tight end ones last season. It was, you know, Dalton Schultz, Zach Ertz, even Pat Fryermuth at one point uh, became a legit tight end one. So I, I think that if you do draft in that range, don't feel so attached to those guys that you just hang on to them, you know, for the first seven weeks. If, if there's a better option out there, go for it. And we said that last year it was I think it was um, Noah Fant, Logan Thomas and Robert Tunyon. We were like, if you if you do draft those guys, they're they're going where they should. But don't be too attached. You know, don't be afraid to kind of uh, go with the, the hot guy at the beginning of the season, because we're really trying to get one of those league winning tight end ones that. Or always on the waiver wire to begin the season.
2: Yeah, I think you know you mentioned that drop off between Andrews and Kyle Pitts, tight end two to three. Um, I, I think you know there's also like that dead zone really for me starts at tight end six. Um, mm-hmm. You know even if you know projection wise, yes, there's a drop off between Andrews and Pitts, but I think you know the floor is still high enough for Pitts uh, yeah. coming off a, a thousand yard rookie season at tight end, um, and the ceiling is pretty high too, just because of the talent and because he could still be you know, that number one target um, in Atlanta, even with Drake London there. Um, but after, you know, Kittle, Waller, you know, that's when you start getting into that next tier of Hawkinson and Schultz and Goddard. And there's just not as many guarantees there um, floor wise, I think, um, you know, and, and I think that's where you, I, I feel like I'm going to get into more trouble. So that's, yeah, that's kind mm-hmm. of my dead zone um, where I'm usually starting to wait um, once I get past that top five, but uh, let's jump right into, we'll go player by player as we've been doing on these episodes. Uh, also. Uh should mention that we already have two quarterback episodes out, one with the with the great J.J. Zacharyson talking about late-round quarterbacks, so make sure you check those out as well. But Ta- Travis Kelsey, uh, he's a tight end one. TJ, I-, I feel like I have two questions for you on Kelsey. It's like, does he have his highest ceiling ever now that Tyreek is gone? But also, does he have his lowest floor ever? Because he's he is 33.
1: Yeah, uh, I-, I think he definitely has his another way to frame your question widest range of outcomes that we've seen in a very long time right i mean the 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 obvious one is he's he's tied to patrick mahomes um the target volume has been there consistently and and should be there, if not even more this year. From the the age model, um I, I don't think somebody that's as good as Kelsey, I just want to blindly throw the age model at him. But he did have his lowest yards per route one since Sports Info Solutions started tracking it back in 2016, dropped down to two yards per route one. That was still top six among tight ends, um, but not up to that like 2.7, 2.8 yards per route one we've seen in the last couple of years. I'm still willing to bet on Kelsey in this offense. Um, and when we're poking holes in Kelsey, I don't think we're necessarily poking holes in him in him relative to the other tight ends. Like he's mm-hmm. the tight end one, tight end two, like uh like Sean said. It's more of are you poking holes and taking him at the one-two turn? It, it it's a cost mm-hmm. thing for Kelsey, right? And when I'm looking at Kelsey, I'm looking at him, he's kind of going like it's it's the big decision for me has been between him, Devonte Adams, Joe Mixon, kind of at that turn. I still like Kelsey over Devonte Adams. Like, if I'm just if if I could take a player ahead of him, kind of right there, it would be DeAndre Swift or Aaron Jones. But I could take Kelsey and usually still get them coming back. Um, so I'm overall I'm pretty comfortable with Kelsey at his price, uh, especially because like that turn, I think you could go a lot of ways and put quite a few holes. Um, so I'm going to um, bet on the situation and and that he has at least one more year in him.
2: John, what about you? I mean, we talked about kind of range of outcomes and. I know you you kind of specialize in in a median projection. So, you know, I know the range of outcomes are wider, but are you still landing on kind of a similar median that that, that you
3: have these past few years? Yeah, and just piggybacking what TJ just ended on is that I think Kelsey has one more elite season in him. Uh, I mean, he's 33. He, he's obviously in the decline phase of his career, but he's not washed quite yet. And plus, we have to remember, he's still playing for arguably the best quarterback in the league. Who is just now entering his prime at 26 years old. So I think we have to also factor in that Mahomes is still ascending, uh, in his, uh, you know, age curve. So I think that does help offset Kelsey a little bit. So yeah, we're splitting here's here, trying to figure out whether it should be Kelsey or Andrews first. I, I haven't projected right around the same. Um, so I, I think that, you know, Kelsey should probably be the first tight end off the board and then Andrews should go almost immediately after that. So. I love, you know, getting Andrews a little bit later, but um I wouldn't fault anybody for taking Kelsey first because without Tyree Kill, I, I mean his target ceiling is still massive. Uh I'm not worried about oh defenses will be able to double team him. That doesn't really work either. So I, I think that Kelsey's gonna have one more elite season and then maybe next year you can get me to talk about Kelsey possibly being in decline.
2: Yeah, it's for me, it's, you know, I don't mind them there either around that turn spot. Um, you know, if certain other players are there, especially running backs, like TJ, you mentioned DeAndre Swift, I, I, mm-hmm. Joe Mixon sometimes falls there. Um, yeah. You know, I, I do think it's important. I think tight ends and running backs both are important to get a little earlier. I think wide receivers, you can really start attacking in, in you know, rounds like three, four, five, um, and still end up with three very solid wide receivers. So, um, you know, if, if you're at that back half of the draft, uh, I do think there's, you know, it's worth taking Kelsey. Whereas if you're at the front half, you know, Kelsey's 14th overall uh, in ADP uh, in half PPR. Whereas Mark Andrews is 23rd. So mm-hmm. being at that back half, sometimes, or you know, being at the front of the draft on that comeback, depending, you know, you might still be able to get Andrews a little bit later. So I think that's how I'm kind of um, going about it. And then, you know, if I can't get one of those, I really still do want to get, um, you know, one of those top five guys. Um, but Mark Andrews, number two. I mean, TJ, I'll ask you this, like, can he top last season numbers now that he like Hollywood Brown is not there anymore. And that wide yep. receiving court has taken a step back, even if Rashad Bateman makes a year two leap. I think it's, it's hard to argue that it's not weaker than it was a year ago. So, um, you know, can Andrews top last year's numbers or is, is, is the Baltimore defense just going to be too good for that even to matter?
1: Yeah, I mean, to to top his numbers, he would have to kind of double down on multiple outlier things uh, Mm -hmm. happening. I mean, even though Hollywood is gone, the the competing force there is that the Ravens, for for what they've done with Lamar historically, had an outlier in terms of passing volume. And a lot of that had to do with with Lamar being out, right? So uh, Andrews had a 26, 27% target share in a offense that was uncharacteristically pass heavy for the Ravens. And his target share has always been dominant, even with mm-hmm. Hollywood Brown there, like that 26% range, but his targets per game went 6.5, 6.3, and then jumped all the way up to nine. So for him to keep that nine targets per game, you're going to either need to see his target share increase to like 30%, which we just don't see from the tight end position that's reserved for like only Devonte Adams, um, or they're going to need, maintain that passing volume, which I think is pretty unlikely. So I I think the most likely scenario is that his target volume drops off a little bit. Um, Like, I don't think it's going to go back down to sub 100 like we saw the two years previous, even though he did miss those games. Um, But he's going to need to maintain that fairly high touchdown rate that he has had with Lamar Jackson. All that being said, I mean, again, we're we're kind of like looking to poke holes in Mark Andrews. He's going 23rd, 24th overall in consistency ADP. I think that's a fantastic value considering the fact mm-hmm. that we just said, we're not sure if he or Kelsey are the one or two. So if I'm deciding uh, like where I want to be in terms of the ability to get these two guys, I would rather be at the front part of the draft, be able to get Andrews coming back than be at the back half of that draft and kind of have to make that decision with Kelsey. Uh, I, I love the front half of the draft because you can start like, like a CMC Andrews start is crazy.
2: Yeah, well, CMC's. I mean, people are sleeping on CMC, but that's a whole nother discussion. Um, Sean, you know, kind of speaking of what TJ said, I mean, you know, there are there is some question about you know whether Andrews should be the one. I think for me, it's just it comes down to the fact that I think we can, as TJ kind of mentioned, project the Chiefs for more volume, um, passing wise than than the Ravens. I think that's a pretty fair bet. But um, you know, I'm curious to you. You said there's a big drop off for you after Andrews. What is kind of the difference in, in fantasy points per game that you're projecting between Kelsey
3: and Andrews? Oh, I have them almost identical. Uh, so I, I, I literally mean this. I have them ranked exactly the same. So um, I, that's why I prefer getting Andrews at the end of the second round. If I were to get him there, I'd be ecstatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he's always been sort of a volatile, kind of inconsistent Uh, Tight end where we're just, you know, we're going to have spiked weeks, of course. But last season, he was much more consistent. He rarely put up a dud. In fact, he only had two games with fewer than four receptions. Uh, Each of those games, he had three receptions. So he never had a game below three. Uh, So, I mean, he's just a really high floor, high ceiling guy now. Um, And I think the sneaky angle that I would say he has a higher floor than Kelsey is he, as of last season, we found out that he's QB proof because when Tyler Huntley was in the game, Uh, he was even better. So if Lamar Jackson were to miss time, I mean, he's still going to be a top two tight end in my projections. But imagine if Patrick Mahomes misses time and they have whoever the hell they have there is Chad Henney. Like, I mean, Travis Kelsey might drop outside of my top four. Um, So I think that just when you consider that, Andrews probably has the higher floor. Yeah, last year,
2: Andrews ran a route on an average of 84% of dropbacks per game. Kelsey was at 85%. But um, TJ, as you kind of alluded to, Andrews has tends to have the superior like per route numbers. He you know, yeah. he gets targeted on an extremely ridiculous basis per route. Like it's it's you like he's mentioned a 30% yeah. target share. He might not get that, but per route he does. Like per yeah. route he gets yeah. targeted like 30% sure. of the time or more. So, um I could see the argument for it. I do have Kelsey ranked number 1 just because mm-hmm. again, I do have a, a pretty significant difference in the pass volume between the Chiefs and the Ravens, which is enough for me to still have Kelsey number 1, but I agree with you guys in the in terms of if I'm drafting, I'd rather have that front half spot, get a get a running back with no questions, and then get and try to get Andrews coming back. How Pitts. Uh I mean, one touchdown, <laughs> one touchdown, like damn, that, that hurt. But he got the thousand yards in, in year one, which is amazing for a tight end. Uh so TJ, you know, I know you, you talk a lot about touchdown regression. So I'm yep. curious to hear, like, uh, are you projecting some of that, you know, one of 14 in terms of touchdowns to red zone targets last year? Or, or because I think the other side of that is, could regress, but, positively, I mean, but at the same time, there's no Matt Ryan there, it could be Mariota, it could be Ritter. We could see a decrease in pass volume and efficiency. So, kind of how are you kind of taking all that into account in terms of what you're projecting for Pitts uh, this upcoming season?
1: Yeah, it's not like he is due for for crazy touchdown regression. He was only his expected touchdown was only like four, four and a half touchdowns because Atlanta's offense was pretty bad last year. So even if he scored as expected, he would have only finished as a tight end four. that's still a really good finish. Um, His expectations were crazy last year. I'm really interested to see what Sean has to say because four for four agrees with him that from a median projection standpoint, there is a crazy drop off to the tight end three. But we just haven't seen a tight end like Kyle Pitts maybe ever. Only rookie tight end since the merger to gain a thousand yards, just a third to exceed uh, 100 targets. And the Falcons, even though they're going to, they're they're going to see a drop off at quarterback. 41% of their targets from last year are up for grabs. They do have depending where you look at the lowest or the second lowest win total of any team, so they should be in a lot of very pass heavy situations. And we talked about like Mark Andrews maybe not reaching that 30% target share. Kyle Pitts is in a situation where he could be like 27, 28, 29% target share and he's so good. We see players in these situations have the have these like outlier touchdown share seasons where like even if the the falcons only throw for say 25 touchdowns he can be so dominant in this offense that he could pull down like a 40 percent touchdown share so going as what 36th in consensus adp in the right draft he's going to fall to 40 that three four turn he's actually my favorite pick in the first four rounds right now
2: yeah i, I i'm kind of excited about kyle pitts too I, I do recognize that there is still a floor issue here um mm-hmm. but i am excited about because I, I think he has crazy upside but um Tom, what do you think? I know, I know, kind of talk about that drop-off and like, where is it, where exactly is that drop-off coming from? Is it the, is it the touchdowns? Is it the volume compared to, to Mark Andrews?
3: Yeah. Well, let me just first say this, the talent, the drop-off is not due to talent. Uh, <laughs> it's purely due to the situation surrounding Kyle Pitts. So let's be straight about that. Uh, but, you know, he saw six end zone targets last season, which we would typically expect, you know, two and a half touchdowns from that kind of, Usage. So while he should see some significant positive touchdown regression, I don't think he's going to be, you know, double digits. At least this point in his career, he's probably going to need a better quarterback, a better system. So um, I, I haven't projected right around five right now. Uh, certainly he has the talent to exceed that. He he can make Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter a better quarterback. So I think he still does have a high ceiling. Uh, but just based on this offense heading in the season, I'm only projecting them for around 21 passing touchdowns. So there just isn't that many to go around. Um, But, you know, when it comes to receptions, yards, obviously he has a massive ceiling. And I kind of hope that Marcus Mariota is the quarterback because he did have a connection with Delaney Walker back in the day. And the first, you know, first two seasons of Mariota's career, he threw six touchdowns and seven touchdowns Delaney Walker in the first two seasons. So he has had a tendency to kind of lean on a tight end in the red zone. So I think Mariota would help Pitts. Um, upside over Ritter, uh, but we'll, remains to be seen. But I, I still think that Kyle Pitts, without a doubt, should be the tight end free. Um, But I do have a pretty significant drop off between Andrews and him.
1: The one crazy wrench in Kyle Pitts right now that that just came up today is they're talking about like Calvin Ridley trying to figure out a way to get back on the field in in lieu of Deshaun Watson's short suspension. I don't know if there's any mm-hmm. like if there's any way that happens this year. But if we start hearing somehow that Calvin Ridley is coming back this year, that would that would make it super interesting.
2: It would because I, I think on one hand it probably would help Pitts in the sense of like the defense can't mm-hmm. focus in only on him and maybe they'd even pass a little more with, with Ridley there than without. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it certainly would be interesting. I mean, ultimately, I think that would probably hurt Drake London the most because people, yeah. were, you know, we're drafting mm-hmm, him absolutely. like the the number one. But um, yeah, I, I think you know Pitts has this crazy upside of like we've never really seen this kind of production out of a tight any year one. And he had 34% of his routes He was lined up on the, as a wide receiver. That was 6% more than like any other tight end last year. So only, only tight end to clear 30% uh, of wide re- of wide snap. So um, there is was Gusecki,
1: a bit, Was Gasecki the second one? Yeah,
2: he's at 29. Yeah. So 5% actually, I should 5%. Yeah. He was at 29. Um, but yeah, there's, there's certainly, we just don't have another tight end like this guy. I think that helps the floor a little bit when you're, you're, you're kind of more like a wide receiver, but um, mm. I think he's a great, like fallback option. If you can't get Kelsey, you're in the back half of the draft. You know, Pitts is going 35th. That's one spot before the, you know, the three, four turn in in 12 team league. So um if you go like running back running back with the first picks or running running back wide receiver, um, you can still get Kyle Pitts, you know, if you're at that back half, um, you know, late third. So uh you have no issue with uh taking him there. All right, let's move on to the tight end four. George Kittle. Last year he posted his lowest Ah, uh, receptions per game, five point one, and yards per game, sixty-five. Since his rookie year, TJ, should we expect more of the same? Uh, like as as we saw last year, going from Jimmy G to Trey Lance, do you think it it gets even worse, or do you think it it gets it, you know Lance actually improves it, or how are you looking at that one?
1: I, I think it could be pretty similar to what we saw last year. It's a very very small sample. We only saw them start one game together. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Kittle didn't play in one of uh, Trey Lance's starts, but in that. Week 17 game, he only saw two targets out of uh, Trey Lance's 71 targets. Only four of them went to Kittle. Obviously, that could change a lot. Kittle is one of the best tight ends talent-wise in the league, uh, but they also just re-signed uh, Debo. Uh, I think Brandon Ayuk is a lot better than a lot of people give him credit for. My concern with Kittle and just kind of the 49ers pass catchers in general, De- Debo's different because they're going to use him, but Kittle and Ayuk is that I-, I think there is a scenario where San Francisco is very uh, 2021 Eagles-esque in that we we like Trey Lance because he can be a very valuable fantasy asset. And I think people might Jump into August and see that, uh, people like us have been moving Trey Lance up our draft boards. They, they just, uh, officially announced that he is their number one guy. But I think in terms of, of a passing game, there could be some, some growing pains. Trey Lance could run a lot. He's probably going to be able to put it on these receivers. Ayuk and Debo deep. Uh, but I, I think in terms of passing volume and passing efficiency, uh, this offense could struggle a little bit from a pass catcher standpoint. I think Lance is going to pay off his ADP, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all the pass catchers will.
2: Uh, Sean, what what are you thinking with uh with George Kittle here? Like how is your how did your projections change, you know, now that he's going to, to trade Lance?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I've been out, under the impression that Lance has been starting pretty much the whole offseason now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh Kittle, he he's a bit dicey at tight end four. Um, you know, his problem is he's a good blocker, uh, which a lot of these tight ends don't have that issue. Uh, so sometimes he can stay in and block before he releases and go goes out for a route. So that, that can hurt his target share a bit. And just, you know, with Trey Lance under center, TJ already mentioned it, like they're going to be much more run heavy. Um, and, you know, the, the one sample size we have, uh, he got, you know, one catch for 29 yards, which isn't great. I'm not going to overweight that, of course, but still like the the overall volume of this passing attack will be down this year. So that's going to hurt uh, Kittle for sure. So um, I'd rather just wait and take like uh, Darren Waller if he's going to be there at tight end five, because. Again, there's going to be another massive drop-off after this mini, uh, you know, three tight end tier is off the board. So I would typically wait until the whoever is available at number 5. Uh, and at number 5, that is
2: Darren Waller. And, you know, last year, I mean, he's kind of, you know, he posted three-year lows in receptions per game at five and, and yards per game at 60.5 last year. Uh, you know, are you expecting another dip, DJ, with, you know, Devontae Adams now in the fold as well? Or can that, you know, the likely dip in volume be offset by – you know an efficiency increase because Adams will take some of the pressure off Waller.
1: Yeah, I, I mean obviously not just Devontae there, but also new new coach and Josh McDaniels mm-hmm. can really shake things up. I I I think if there is a player that suffers the most volume-wise, it's probably Hunter Renfro. Um I I think Darren Waller could um main at least maintain his work from last year and Devontae Adams is Devontae Adams. The Raiders are a team that I've just been trepidatious about all year because probably just because I can't really figure them out. They're the only team that I've drafted less players than uh, through 50 Best Ball Mania drafts is the Giants. Um, I, I th- The problem is, like, even if they're fantastic, the the ceiling for this passing game for Derek Carr is like Kirk Cousins' the last two years, right? So if there's 32 or 33 touchdowns to go around, I, if I'm drafting Waller as a tight end five in, in the fifth or sixth round, I, I, like, want some kind of upside in terms of, like, I don't know a, a tight end two finish tight end three finishes everything breaks right and I just don't know if that's there with Devonte Adams in town so I I like Waller um from like a standalone perspective I think he can be fine but I still think the price is just like a little bit too much for me in this price range I'd rather be taking a, a lot of wide receivers really I just have over him that's why it's been hard for me to take him
2: yeah it's it's tough you know he's going you're right there at the you know forty eight that's the end of the fourth um like I said I I don't. I, I, I kind of, I'm with Sean on this one is like whoever gets to me between Waller and Kittle. Like I still do go for those guys because I feel like there's an even bigger drop off coming. Um, whereas wide receiver, I think kind of evens out a little bit more in those, in those middle rounds. But uh, Sean, is that kind of where you're at as well? Just, you know, if, if Waller yeah. is, is there instead of Kittle, you're like,
3: okay with him? Yeah, that, that's exactly how I would describe it. And uh, let me just go back to what I said. Originally, this is a position I just like come to me. So I'm not going in saying, like, I'm going to draft Waller at tight end five. Just, like, if the situation presents itself and he fell a little bit too far, um, there is such a big drop-off that I will definitely consider it. Um, But, you know, as TJ mentioned, there is a concern over Waller's ceiling this year with Devontae Adams there. I mean, he's obviously going to take away some targets from Waller. But we also have to remember, Waller was a late bloomer. So he's turning 30 this year. He's already sort of in the decline phase of his career, even though he's been, you know, a fancy rock star just for the past couple of seasons. So, um, you know, taking that consideration, I'm a little bit down on Waller, but either way, like he definitely separates this like elite tight end tier from what I would consider the top of the waiver wire tier. So he does represent sort of a critical part in your draft where if you pass up on him, you might be passing up on tight end until, you know, the later rounds. Yeah.
2: DJ Hockiston is the tight end sixth in ADP should he be the tight end six DJ? I mean, there's a lot of mouths to feed. Like you got St. Brown, you got DJ Chark there. Now you, you re-sign Reynolds, you got Deandre Swift, who's a big pass catching back. Uh, and, you know, Jamison Williams probably going to be there for, you know, two thirds of the season or so. Um, So, uh, you know, does Hawkinson warrant that TE6 uh, ADP?
1: Yeah. I mean, just from a, a, a general draft philosophy standpoint, this is where my, um my philosophy starts to really change between best ball and redraft like in best ball we can we can target these guys in this range and not have to pick out their good weeks in redraft where we have to you know decide when we're going to play them and start you're just putting so much uh draft equity into a player like hawkins you know who i to answer your question i don't think is fairly priced I, I think he should be low like be below this chunk of i'll call it tight end i don't know six through nine i i kind of have him at the bottom of these guys because of the influx of players, um, like we saw Amon Saint Brown popped last year. Um, now we have um, Jameson Williams in the mix. I don't know if he's going to start the season, but I think he'll be a factor at some point. Uh, DJ Chark pass catching back in Swift. I, I do think this offense can be surprisingly good uh, after yes. af- after Anthony Lynn lost play calling duties. Jared Goff was actually like top seven uh, in, in efficiency in adjusted yards per attempt. Uh, I I think this is going to be an offense that could be fruitful, but it's why I like them better. I I hate the better and best ball um, cliche, but there's just so many guys coming up behind Hawkinson that I think you can make a better argument for at least having more consistency and upside. Like Hawkinson's floor is is frighteningly uh, low for me. And even last year before, um, like like early in the season, we saw he would oscillate between like 12.5 PPR games and like 4.5 PPR games. Like that's already there and it could be worse this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, so uh, on the uh, quarterback pod with JJ, Sean, JJ, and I decided that all pass lead to Jared Goff. Like, we're just, gonna, <laughs> yeah. we're just not going to draft quarterbacks and just draft Jared Goff because, like, we all kind of feel the same way. Like, this Lions offense in general is, I think, a little bit underrated. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't, like, like to your point, that doesn't necessarily um, benefit Hawkinson. Um, Sean, what do you think uh, about Hawkinson
3: this year? Yeah. So, I mean, last year he was a pretty big part of my tight end draft strategy just because I thought he was the dividing line between sort of the elite tight end one tier and the waiver wire tier. And unfortunately, you know, injuries derailed his season. He was a little bit inconsistent before that, as TJ alluded to, but there's just too many weapons in this offense um, with not enough targets to go around to really make Hawkinson as consistent as you would like from a tight end six. So while I do like him, you know, he's, he's inside my top eight. I just think tight end six is a bit rich, that's where I have you know Dalton Schultz. But this is clearly where the position opens up where you see some disagreement and you know rankings and ADP. Um, so this is an area where I would just rather wait and get somebody that falls to me. I would not want to be, you know, targeting Hawkinson at tight end six. I just think his floor is too too low, like you guys mentioned. So um I'm I'm gonna be out on him in this range this this season.
2: Yeah, and really, I mean Hawkinson, it was first couple of weeks last year. First two weeks he had eight and a half catches, 82 yards per game. Uh, He had three touchdowns in those two weeks. Yeah, that was fun. Um, Right. And then, (laughs) but then weeks three to 12, he has 4.6 catches for 42 yards a game and 0.2 touchdowns. And he was, his tight end, uh, he was on a 7.7 per game, you know, pace, which would have put him right at the tight end 16 with Tyra Higby, which is just, you Mm -hmm. know, meh. So um, (laughs) now that he's, I, I do think the Lions offense gets better. I think they throw more. I think But I just think there's a lot of mouths to feed in. Like like you said, CJ, I just, I think he could be inconsistent. So that's the issue. And now in best ball, um, you could kind of offset it by the fact that like you could draft Hawkinson and then wait on court and, you know, one of your quarterbacks and you get like Mm -hmm. stacking with Jared Goff. That's not a bad strategy, but he's a little, he's not really in my redraft plans, you know, going at ADP, 62 overall. I mean, that's a spot ahead of a Brandon Cooks. And I'd much rather have Brandon Cooks in that spot. Absolutely. Don Schultz is, is tough. He's tough for me. I mean, he, I know he's not the most talented guy, but I think he, he, he's very solid in terms of what he, he could do in this offense. He's been doing it now for like a year and a half. Um, really kind of came out, you know, surprised people last year with how, how consistent he was able to mm-hmm. be in numbers he was able to put up. Um, so TJ, I mean, do you think he's due for some regression? I know he went six for 14 in terms of the touchdowns in the red zone, finished with eight, um, 75 catches for 808. Um, or is like Gallup's early season absence, no Jarwin, you know, going to kind of help Schultz remain um in this top eight?
1: Yeah. The so if we look at it, my expected touchdown model, um, shows him as the second most touchdowns over expectation. The only uh, tight end that scored more touchdowns over expectation than him was Hunter Henry. Uh, the difference is that Schultz had one hundred four targets to Hunter Henry seventy five targets, and Schultz is in a position where as you mentioned, uh, with Cooper no longer there with us, not sure when Gallup's going to be there. he And also tied to a quarterback that has showed us that he can be uber efficient and lead a crazy efficient passing offense Uh, going from our, again, tight end six to tight end 10. I, I don't know if Schultz is going to have the crazy spike weeks that some of these guys like Knox might be able to give us, but if someone in the tight end six to tight end 10 range, Becomes the most consistent plug and play option. I would bet on it being Schultz. I just really like his opportunity in this offense. I I still believe in Dak for some reason. Like I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if like if I'm just listening to the wrong things. But it feels like there's just like people aren't trusting in Dak for some reason. Maybe it's just because so many people are excited about like Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. and and Russell Wilson and whatnot. Kind of in the same range that Dak gets just lost in the shuffle. But I, I trust Dak. And if Dalton's going to be one of his primary guys. Um, if I, if I am going to go outside of my redraft philosophy and draft somebody in this range and expect them to be starting, um, every single week, I, I would say it's Schultz.
2: Yeah. I mean, TJ to your point on Dak, uh, real quick is I think the overall market is still, which I think he's still the QB six, but yeah. I think some of the experts are kind of saying, and, and I'm kind of included in this. I, I think he's more like the QB eight or nine, just because I, I, I rather have the rushing upside of Hertz. I rather have. Yeah. Tom Brady and Julio and, you know, that whole offense. So I don't think it's really a knock on Dak. is like kind of to your point. There's just a lot of quarterbacks this year. Um, but uh, as far as Schultz, I mean, Sean, what are you, what are you seeing with Schultz? I know he was kind of, he was a guy that was tougher to project at times last year. He would kind of come out of nowhere with these spike weeks and he look up and he's like one of the top
3: tight ends in the week to finish the year. Um, so, so where are you at with him? Yeah, so I have him tight end six uh, ahead of Hawkinson. Like I said, he's sort of in no man's land. He's in this tier all by himself uh, where he's very tricky to project because I think if you were to you know, debate uh, who has the least amount of talent with top 10, it'd probably be Schultz. <laughs> but he has an amazing opportunity. He could be you know, Dak's number two or three target most weeks in an elite offense. Um, so I think just given the opportunity, the scheme, um, everything sets up well for him. And I wouldn't overlook the fact that Blake Jarwin is gone. Obviously, Jarwin was pretty insignificant last year. But um, once, once he was knocked out for the rest of the season, that's when we saw um, Schultz run a route around 85% of the time as opposed to 70% of the time. Um, and he was the tight end four over that stretch um, the last several weeks when Jarwin was gone. So I think the fact that Jarwin's no longer with the team, uh, we're going to see that massive upside starting week one. And like you said, Michael Gallup, probably won't be ready for the first couple of games. So he'll, you know, Schultz will probably be Dak's number two target um, early in the season. Um, and he's, you know, one of Dak's favorite targets. So I think just, I think he's going to provide that consistency that you would want um, to draft the tight end early. So I'm okay drafting him uh, at tight end seven. Yeah. I think the key
2: with, and it was, and especially once you get outside these, you know, talented studs here, you know, that top five, I think mm-hmm. it comes down to, you know how many routes are you going to get too, and yeah. and and Schultz for the year averaged a route on seventy eight percent of dropbacks, which is really good for tight ends. But you know, without Jarwin, that number jumped over eighty percent, and so that's kind of where uh, I'm projecting him this year because I I think I, I you know I spoke to you Sean about this, but like the the depth chart behind Dalton Schultz is Jake Ferguson, a fourth rounder, <laughs> Sean McKeon, Jeremy Sprinkle. Uh, Ian Bunting and and Peyton Anderson, uh, undrafted free agent. So like they're gonna be, Schultz is gonna be like the one tight end on the field, and he I think he's gonna be on the field almost all the time, and that that's worth something when you do have a quarterback uh, as good as Dak Prescott. So he's my tight end six as well. Um, still not rushing to draft him a lot, but mm-hmm. I I would like if it's the choice between you know waiting a few extra picks and and risking it and or taking Hockinson, I'd rather just wait. Uh, Dallas Goddard. He's a tight end eight in ADP. Uh, TJ, do you think is Philly going to have enough pass volume to go around uh, this year? Because AJ Brown is there now. You, I know you like Devonte Smith. You know, heading into year two as well. Um, but Goddard so has had pretty good, you know, per route metrics as well. Yeah. Um, so so where are you at with him?
1: Yeah, Goddard's a tough one for me because I I do like to look at those those efficiency and, and route metrics. The problem is he's competing with two other guys that are fantastic at it as well. Uh, I I think. I, I'm not more excited about a team this year than the Eagles. I'm drafting as many Eagles as I can. I think they're going to ball. I think they could be 2019 Ravens, 2020 Bills. The mm-hmm. problem is Devontae Smith had one of the most spectacular rookie years that we've seen. Now, the touchdowns, the fantasy points weren't there. Um, but in terms of yards per route, and target share, uh, yards per target, he was on par with guys like Terry McLaurin, Jamar Chase. He balled last year and now you put in AJ Brown, AJ Brown, when healthy is a guy that has traditionally paced for 25% plus target share. We saw Devonte Smith above 20% target share last year. Dallas Goddard paced for about 19% when healthy. Given those three guys, I, I do think their passing volume goes up to answer your question. They wanted to be a passing team before, um, before Jalen Hurts started to suck last year. They were, top 10 <laughs> in, they were top 10 in neutral passing rate over the first seven or eight weeks of the season. And that declined by acquiring A.J. Brown. It at least indicates that they want to throw more than that. they hope Jalen Hurts takes that leap. But if we assume, which I do, that Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown are both going to command over 20% target shares because they're both such amazing technicians on the outside. That makes it very, very hard for Goddard. Like we just don't see teams with three guys over twenty percent. It just doesn't happen. Um, so I, I think if A.J. Brown hurts a player, it's probably Goddard more than uh, Devontae Smith.
2: Yeah, it's it's tough because you know it's just you don't we we I do I agree I think it's going to increase, but I, it's hard to say how much. And I think you're going to need a, a pretty big increase to to. To, to keep him consistent, but I, I
3: don't know. What do you think, Sean? Like, where are you on Goddard and the consistency that you think he might have this year? Well, I, I, I mean, I've been waiting five years to say this, <laughs> but finally, we are entering a season where Dallas Goddard doesn't have Zach Ertz there to yeah. compete with. It reminds me of when Derrick Henry had um, Demarco Murray and Deion Lewis around. I was just like so frustrated. I'm like, just unleash him already. So, while I'm very excited that Dallas Goddard has this tight end depth chart to himself, I mean, you were making fun of. Uh, the Cowboys backups. Look at the uh, Eagles depth chart. When you get a second, it's nothing but like former quarterbacks and uh, wide receivers. I, th- and I think I
2: know. I think I can do walkers so Grant Cal- <laughs> Grant Calcaterra. You got... actually, he's
3: pretty good. But yeah,
2: isn't but
1: uh, isn't JJ Ortega Whiteside a white side of tight end now? Yeah, exactly.
2: I, uh, <laughs> You got you got Richard Rogers there. Um, uh, Jack Stole. Jack Stole is there. So, yeah, Jackson, it's, baby. It's better than the court- Cowboys, but it's not great. Former quarterback, but yeah, exactly. So he has
3: zero competition whatsoever. Finally. However, the fact that AJ Brown there, uh, the, the fact that they trade for AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, I love him heading into year two. And they're just, you know, an extreme run heavy offense. It's just going to be hard for Goddard to really command enough targets to be a top five option. But, you know, last season after they traded away Zacherts, uh, he was tight on five and points per game. So um, he does have that kind of upside. If anybody were to miss time between, you know, Brown or Smith, but unfortunately just there's too many, tar- you know. There's too many, um, you know, target hogs in this offense now uh, to really feel comfortable taking Goddard. But at tight end eight, I, I would say that's fair. That's that's where I haven't projected, um, and I do love his upside. But it's it's about time he finally gets the tight end room to himself.
1: The biggest problem with Goddard is his consensus ADP is between Darnell Mooney, Kareem Hunt, Russell Wilson, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Tony Pollard. Like those are all guys I want on my team. Yeah, Kareem Hunt but- <laughs> and Tony
3: Pollard for me.
2: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's like, I, I'm just
1: never taking Goddard there because of those guys.
2: <laughs> I love me some Darnell Mooney. So yeah, I've yeah. never yeah. taken uh, Goddard over him either. But I will say this again, like it's all relative. And um, I will say this, like TJ Hawkinson, 62 overall, Dallas Goddard, 78 overall. Again, yeah. I still yeah, yeah, yeah. trend toward Goddard. I think it's with Schultz, it's a little closer. It's like, I, I probably feel better about Schultz um, than having to go to Goddard because I do think there's more inconsistency. Um, I think Goddard's a little better for best ball. You, you could stack them with, you could stack them with, you know, Jalen Hurts and the rest of the pass catchers and mm-hmm. you can go about it that way. So um, I really don't have a problem with it, but again, this is just not a tier that for, for the reasons that we're kind of outlining, there's just a, a wider range of outcomes in and in a lower floor and lower consistency floors um, that it, it's not, he's not really going to be on a, a ton of my teams, especially in traditional redraft. Um, Dawson Knox is the te nine in ADP. Um, I, I, you know, the, the touchdown regression, you know that you could talk about that. He had nine and seventy-one targets, six of eighteen in the red zone. Now. So he's, you know, Buffalo. You expect him to get, in, you expect the Bills to get in the red zone. You expect Josh yeah. Allen to throw a ton of TDs. But I think my question is because I think the 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 thing that really like got we've seen Goddard be a volume guy, we've seen Hawkinson be a volume guy, we've even seen mm-hmm. Dalton Stokes be a volume guy. Knox, he's been kind of surviving on his touchdowns. Yep. TJ, do you think he can be? a volume guy. There are some openings in Buffalo, you know, Sanders moving on and Beasley moving on.
1: Yeah. I mean, do I think he could be a volume guy? Most likely not. I mean, his peripherals have been absolutely atrocious. Uh, there is the <laughs> Buffalo. Buffalo is missing two of their top three targets from last year. So so us like confidently projecting that gabe davis is gonna come in and be the number two like that's not a guarantee i am hey, betting hey, on it. No, I, no I, I i'm i'm betting on on I'm, 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 oh I'm betting I'm betting, I'm betting on it allowed. i'm betting i'm betting on it but we we don't know what the we don't know for certain what the tight end totem pole is gonna look like after uh, Stefan day i'm all over gabe davis uh, but my point is like Is there a path for him to? Yeah, because they are missing their top two targets from last year. But like I said, on the flip side, 24th among qualifying tight ends and yards per run last year, 34th in target rate, just absolutely lived on those touchdowns. So yes, he is going to, uh, in theory, regress in the touchdown column. What I will say is that we do see players have multiple season outlier touchdown years. And the crazy thing about Josh Allen is we actually haven't seen Josh Allen have his outlier touchdown year yet. Two years ago when he went crazy, his touchdown rate was 6.5%. Last year, it was only 5.6%. Now, those are still elite levels, but when we've seen the Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Patrick Mahomes go nuclear, those are like 8.5%, 9% touchdown season. Mm-hmm. Are we going to project that for Josh Allen? Absolutely not. But does he have one coming? Like, probably because he's Josh Allen. And, and if Dawson Knox is going to be on the field for 90% of the snaps when that happens, like the difference between him and, and Dallas Goddard, like, even though it's tight in eight to tight in nine, D- Dallas Goddard is going 79th overall because it's ADP. Dawson Knox is going 93rd. That means sometimes you're going to be able to get him all the way down to like the hundredth pick. Um. So like when that happens, I want kind of like the Eagles. I want bills on my team when I can get them.
2: Yeah, and Sean, you know, TJ mentioned the snap count, and I think that's an interesting one for me too because last year he ran around on 80% of the Bills dropbacks on average. Um, I bumped that down to 75% because of the, the presence of O.J. Howard, but I also think O.J. Howard might just be unfortunately washed because of the injury that he sustained. Um, I don't think he's going to be a, a big big factor, but um, where are you on, uh, on Dawson Knox? I think the, the snaps and the ra- projected routes kind of really
3: impact where you, where you rank him. Absolutely, and that's why uh, very early uh, last season, I was sounding an alarm on him. I was targeting him in DFS when he was super cheap uh, because we saw that they were running less four wide formations, more 11 personnel, mm-hmm. and just having, you know, Dawson Knox run out over 75% of the time. So in this offense, absolutely sign me up for that. And while we should see some touchdown regression, he's still, you know, running around over 75% of the time in this Bills offense. So that, that's really hard to pass up. Um and I, I liked his talent coming in. I called him sort of a dollar store Mark Andrews. He does have some upside. Um, but you know, when it comes to drafting him tight end nine, I think you are sort of overspending on the touchdown uh production last year when you can get Zach Ertz uh, a little bit later, who I actually have ranked higher um than Knox. So I'd just be careful where he's a volatile tight end. Where at this point, if you're drafting him, don't get too attached to him because we might see one of these other tight ends, you know five, 10 slots later uh, emerge early in the season. And I would be okay, you know, cutting a guy like Knox. So if you're spending draft capital on him, um, I wouldn't, you know, just hang on to him for dear life. This is the rain, um that, you know, you have to be a little bit careful about doing that. But um, yeah, he's my tight end 10 this year. I still love his upside, but I, I would be worried about his floor being a little bit lower because of, like you said, OJ Howard's presence could, you know, eat into his target share a little bit. Yeah. This is, and this is exactly why,
2: I'm not really keen on, on drafting in this tier. Although I will mm-hmm. say, if you're in a standard league, it's probably the best time to attack Knox if you do want to draft in this tier. Or if you're in a ten-team league and you know, like like TJ, you mentioned, you know, Knox just because he's a TE nine, there might be times when he's the tenth or eleventh or twelfth tight end off the board in that in those situations. I think you know that's fine. If you're the last um, you know manager to draft a tight end and you get Dawson Knox and, and you're in a standard yeah, league, crazy. especially, it's yeah. like okay, I'm I'm cool with that. Yeah. But like right, oh uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, yeah, I was just saying, yeah, if you're in a 10 like a Yahoo 10 team league, like you might he might go and draft it.
2: Yeah, exactly. So so there, then it's like I have no problem. But in once you start getting into you know half PPR, full PPR, um, -hmm. just not as keen as taking him, even though I have him right in that same tier with um Hawkinson, Schultz, Goddard Mm -hmm. as well. But um, let's go talk, let's talk about Zach Ertz, because I I like Zach Ertz as well. I mean, I, I I noticed I was I was kind of on an island coming into to last year, saying like Zachers actually isn't washed. I just I just don't think tight ends decline at the like they don't drop off a cliff the same way necessarily some of these bigger bodied wide receivers do, especially. Um, so and, and I think he kind of validated that when he went to Arizona because he you know he averaged over five catches a game, fifty two yards. He was, I think he I believe he was actually their leading receiver in um once he came over there in, in raw volume because they had some injuries. So um you know. TJ, where are you at with with Ertz this year? Um, you know he is thirty two, but yeah. again, you're gonna have you're gonna have Hopkins out. Your AJ Greed's pretty washed. Uh, you know they did get Hollywood, but Kirk yeah. is gone. So I mean, there there's certainly, I guess, I would say the 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 he he has a path to like being like a top seven or eight guy, right?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go devil's advocate on Earths because we did start to see a decline. It was a usage thing with Goddard being there um, in Philadelphia. But then I, I feel like he kind of caught lightning in a bottle last year in Arizona because he did benefit so much from the absence of DeAndre Hopkins. Now he's going into the year with DeAndre Hopkins suspended, but Hollywood is there Hopkins is going to come back in week seven, and now he's going to have two very good wide receivers to compete with. I, I think that uh, Ertz scares me because I think he could be a player that we we draft uh, confidently, and then he confirms that confidence through the first few weeks of the season, and we're stuck with him really declining down the stretch because of uh, the age and because of two very, very good wide receivers um, that he's going to be competing against. So uh, I, I'm a little trepidatious about Ertz.
2: John, give me the, the opposite side. Cause like you said you were a little higher. Like you, were, you had him over Knox. So give
3: me, I guess, yeah. a little more of the opposite. So yeah. I mean, as you know, uh, the world's biggest Dallas Goddard fan, I finally got to throw in my Zach Ertz voodoo doll. So now I like Zach Ertz. Um, <laughs> but you know the change of scenery was huge for him last year. He looked kind of washed and I thought he was gonna retire eventually. But um he ranked the tight end four for uh, from week seven through eighteen with Arizona. Um, He looked like a really good fit in this scheme. Uh, and now he has a whole offseason to learn the system, get chemistry with Kyler Murray. So uh, I do like him heading in the season. As TJ mentioned, it's going to be a bit of a sugar rush. You know, the first six weeks of the season, he's not going to have DeAndre Hopkins there. So I think he will thrive um, with the extra targets. But then once Hopkins comes back, and then once, you know, rookie tight end Trey McBride, who was arguably the top tight end in the class, got drafted, I mean, kind of reminds me of Dallas Gerter, Goddard where, you know, this Trey McBride situation back at Zach Ertz. Uh, you know, the second half of the season, as TJ mentioned, you know, Zach Ertz might be a little bit more inconsistent. But either way, where he goes at tight end 10, and some drafts he falls way, way later, uh, just in terms of overall. Like, he is usually off the board by tight end 10, but that's when people really step off the gas pedal at tight end. And you can see a guy like Ertz fall uh, pretty far. I do like getting him there. I think your, your team is pretty much already set by the time he is being drafted so it's almost like taking the first stab at the waiver wire so I I love getting Ertz there because like we said you know the first six weeks weeks of the season he should be a top seven tight end
1: that's week 17 best ball three winner Trey McBride
2: (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think in redraft it's like you have that option of like trading him and doing different things. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Um, so I, I get, you know, more trepidation in best ball, but I, I'm, I'm kind of what you shot. I like, I like Earths Cause I, I think, I mean, I was always kind of of the camp that like, he's, he's not washed. You know, I just mm. thought Carson Wentz was abysmal that last year that, that earth really kind of fell off. And I guess because he was also turning 30 or 31 at the time, people kind of connected the two or conflated the two. Um, but I, even last year, I mean, even going from, you know, Jalen Hurts to Kyler Murray, um, you know, 58% catch rate with, with in Philly with, you know, 6.1 yards per target. Then he goes to Arizona. It goes to, you know, up from 58 to 69%, is, is the catch rate and the yards per target go from 6 1 to 7 1. So, you know, even, you know, just having, being in that offense with Kyler, it's a wide open offense. I think it really suits him. Um, and I, I feel good about drafting him too, because I just don't think there's much of a, I don't think there's much of a difference between like Hawkinson, Schultz, Goddard, Knox, and Ertz included in that. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Ertz that I like two things. One, you could get him after all those guys usually. Two, we've seen him be a volume guy. We've seen, And we, even last year in Arizona, five catches, I mean, per game, over five catches per game. Like mm-hmm. there's just not many tight ends that can do that. And especially um, not going outside of, you know, they're not going outside of the top five. So. Uh, I, I do like me some Zach Ertz this year.
1: I will say it's super easy if, like, because since Kyler's going so early, it could be tough to get him with Hollywood and sometimes mm-hmm. even even nuke. So if you are looking to stack Kyler, like, Ertz is the easiest one to do it with.
2: Yeah. And I'm, I'm just not getting much nuke because I, I just feel like there, he's not being discounted enough given the six missed games.
1: Like, where would you take him? I know this is a tight end pod, but
2: uh, I, I, I would take him out. I would, I would not want him. I would want him as my wide receiver five because, yeah. so like, 49 uh, or, and I actually yeah. have him ranked. Outside of that, like I have them ranked lower, but I get it because, you know, season long ranking takes into account the missed games. But Mm -hmm. I I just feel like that fourth wide receiver spot is so important to your flex now. I've only
1: drafted Nuke as my wide receiver spot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think we're kind of on on the same page there. Um, Mike Gusecki is the tight end 11. Uh, This actually surprised me. I I didn't realize Gusecki was going to climb this high in ADP. I I, I chalked this up to people just really don't know what to do after (laughs) after these top 10s. I mean, you can make it. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can make a case for Gasicki as as a tight end. Eleven. He he does run a, a lot of. He's more of a wide receiver in a way. He runs a lot of his yep. routes out wide. Um, but I, I just have trouble kind of putting him there because you know I, I just think the the years for Pete Gasicki have kind of passed now. Like Tyreek is going to take a major target share. Jalen Waddle. Um, you know he he he's going to improve in year two, even if maybe the raw numbers go down because of Tyreek. But like Gasicki was. 6.6 targets last year, um, 4.5 catches. And, and, and that's not, I mean, 6.6 targets, but that's not really that great. And now Tyreek is there. I mean, TJ, what do you think? Of it? Like, is the volume going to go down further? And, and, and do you, would you take him tight end 11?
1: Well, for, first, let, from a macro perspective, like my, my biggest pet peeve in fantasy football is saying like, oh, this guy could finish as a fantasy QB1. Like he finished as QB12. Like having Kirk Cousins isn't the same as having Kyler Murray shut yeah. up with all that. And it's like the same thing with tight end now, right? Like, oh, if he finishes a tight end 11, he finished as a tight end one from like tight end 11 through tight end, I don't know, 19, like through Joku. It's basically who's going to score the most touchdowns at this point, right? And Gaseki, you talked about when we were talking about Kyle Pitts lining up, um, not as an inline tight end. If he worked as an inline tight end and Tiger Kill came over, it's like, fine, he can maintain his role, keep doing his thing. Now he, we're basically being like, can Gaseki, uh, produce as a basically the wide receiver three, not as mm-hmm. the tight end uh, in an offense where like how are we even that confident? Tua uh, Tyreek's going to get his waddle even if he doesn't like go crazy. We think he can get a, a lot of targets at at the very least close um to to the line of scrimmage. Even though I think he's better than that, so like Gasicki again, it's it's like touchdown upside for me, and I just don't I just don't see it with the Dolphins.
2: Yeah, and and I should mention like in terms of raw points he was a tight end 11 last year mm-hmm. in terms of points per game among tight ends that played at least half the season he was tight end 16 yeah. so now it's like tight end 16 last year with an expected dip in in targets that's it's just hard to justify tight end 11
3: but uh Sean where are you on this? stick yeah obviously I love the talent um you know he's amazing talent and he's essentially their third wide receiver at this point like you mentioned which is nice because you don't have to worry about him blocking, right? He's going to be averaging over 75% routes run no matter what. So while I, I do like his uh, floor, like he is, he's a high floor player. His, his ceiling is capped um, just based on the lack of touchdown production. And, you know, with Tyreek there, um, he's going to see less targets. So I'm um, not a fan of drafting him in this range. Again, this is this range that I was talking about last year with uh, Robert Tanya Logan Thomas, No fans of the World. Don't get too attached to them if you do draft them. Because there's going to be a Dalton Schultz, a Zach Ertz, Dawson Knox available very early in the season. We don't know who those guys are, but just be ready to swap out a Gusecki if you do have him for somebody else. Don't get too attached if you take him.
2: Yeah, like tight end eleven. That's pretty much going to be confined to to a best ball stack for me. Yeah, um, I, it's not really in my in my uh, redraft plans. Uh, Pat Fryer ruth is tight end twelve. Um, TJ, do you think he takes a year to leap? I mean, he had. 3.8 catches, just 31.1 yards last year, but he did have a good touchdown rate, you know, 0.44 per game. Um, but you know, Pittsburgh did pass at the fourth highest rate, you know. So, I mean, where are you on fire moves, uh entering year two?
1: Yeah, I think he had what like a a negative two yard average depth of target or something <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, I, like he he was the, he was the beneficiary of, of the big bin. Got to get it out as fast as possible, Deacon Dunk, like to the absolute most extreme level we we've seen. And I mean, in in the the, as long as I could remember uh, like Deontay Johnson's still going to get his, I, I think the guy that was hurt the most with big Ben was chase Claypool. So I actually think the, the leap that happens is like the leap that we expected from Claypool last year that was hindered by big Ben. And I think fire was really just in a volume situation because of having been as his quarterback this year. And there's a chance that like, we we talked about like the Falcons' quarterback situation. There's a chance that this is is just even though I I don't hate Mitch Trubisky, but there is a chance that the um, the efficiency of this passing offense is just absolutely putrid.
2: Yeah, the efficiency could go down even even from even Big Ben yeah. levels and yeah, at least and scoring had, rate wise. Yeah, yeah. Wow. and he had 664 pass attempts last mm-hmm. year, which is actually crazy when you think about. <laughs> that they had big Ben, <laughs> but um, yeah, Sean, where, where are you on prime? I mean, I know, I know you love the talent. Cause I yeah. do too, but um, you know, where, where are you on him ranking wise?
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I love the talent. I was writing about him in like week three or four of my tears, like obviously don't play him, but watch out if Eric Ebron were to miss time, like add this guy, because I mean, he was overshadowed because of Kyle Pitts, which is understandable. I mean, he's a generational talent, but any other draft class, Byron Muth would have been the top tight end and everybody would know about him. So he was a little bit under the radar, but once he got his chance, you know, he was a low end tight end one. So while I do like him, I think you're spending up here. And I agree with you guys. Um, I wouldn't say their efficiency is going to go down. It can't get much worse than Big Ben last year. So uh, it's, you know, with you got Mitch Trubisky, uh, Kenny Pickett, and maybe Mason Ruoff starts. It's a nightmare of a situation, but The volume will go down. I don't think we're going to throw it 644 times again this year. Um, So that's definitely going to impact Firemuth, who might be a little bit more touchdown dependent than people want to admit. So, um, you know, he was at tight end 10, I want to say about a month ago, and I was definitely staying away from him. I think around tight end 12 is fair, but this just isn't a range where I'm attacking. I think that you know the next like six or seven tight ends, I have projected about the same. So I just like to get the ones that kind of fall a bit later on.
2: Yeah, that's, I, I like Primus. We might still be a year away because we. I think mm-hmm. we just need a better situation, yep. um, in Pittsburgh. But he he is a guy that like you know again, I think he's back in the same spot. Like maybe he doesn't get drafted in every league. You know, watch him. He's very talented. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just but like he's going to rely on touch he's great in the red zone. But yeah, you, know, you know, I it's just I don't I don't think with Trubisky and and Pickett and and I mean even Mason Rudolph seems to have a shot, um, yeah. here that that it's really gonna. You know, pay off or be consistent at all. um so also probably better best ball target, uh, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, couple more. we'll, we'll talk about I want to talk about some some who who your favorite uh, tight end is outside the top twelve, but uh, real quick because you know we got word uh, last week, I think it was that Kyle Rudolph um is signing with the bucks. Tj. I just wanted your opinion, uh, you know, how are you kind of projecting that this great Rudolph situation? I'm seeing Rudolph starting to creep up. you know in two tight end weeks, he's like the tight yeah. end twenty four now. Um, where are you, where are you on this whole situation?
1: I'm nowhere. I'm not projecting it at <laughs> all. I'm not touching. I'm not touching it. Um, with, with Godwin seemingly ahead of schedule and yeah. then Russell Gage there, and both of their their running backs are good pass catchers. We know Lenny could get a lot, and their rookie Richard White could uh, catch the ball as well. Like, I, why even touch that There's so many other tight ends in like the tight end in the in the tight end twelve through seventeen range. You don't even need to really think about unless you're in a two tight end crazy premium. Even then, like they're probably Outside like the tight end 24.
3: Yeah. John, where are you? Uh similar. This is a situation. Um, I think in spots you can still target Cam Bray. I think you know he still sometimes goes outside of the top 25 tight ends. Um, so he's worth betting on his upside, but there's still a chance later in the season Gronk decides to unretire. So that <laughs> kind of lowers their yeah. floor to begin with. But they're they're also losing OJ Howard too. So there are, you know, a bunch of snaps available. Um, but I think Rudolph will be more of a blocking tight end. I, I don't know why he would be going inside the top yeah. 25. For me, it's still great, but I'm a bit lukewarm. I think they just sort of cancel each other out. Plus, Julio Jones landing there kind of sours. Oh, yeah, I didn't even me mention Julio. Yeah, so it's a situation where uh, I, I think they they have a lower ceiling than I would like to admit. Plus, again, Gronk can unretire anytime, which <laughs> you, you have that loom over your head uh, when you have either one of these guys
1: if I'm tight end premium and I'm in the last round of my draft and like need a tight end, I'd, I'd rather take Johnny Smith.
2: I disagree with that. Who has an injury outside, right? Yeah. I would take Cam Brate all day. <laughs> Cam Brate, Cam Brate, Cam Brate had 20 red zone targets last year. I would just, I, so my thing about this is I, I was actually, I thought Cam Brate was going to be like my, wait like if everyone drafts a tight end and I just I just wait till the last round like I could even take my kicker or defense before and I was just going to take Cam Bray and that was going to be yeah. like my guy so I think Rudolph just kind of messes that up pal. yes exactly but I do think Brate is going to see more routes than Rudolph. Like Brate saw 42 percent per drop back on average last year Rudolph saw 35 with the Giants that's kind of more where I have a projected like I think Rudolph blocks more Bray still the receiver and you know when you're getting a like a 20 red zone targets with Tom Brady, which he could get even more this year because there's no Bronk. Um, and it's not like, like Julio doesn't catch touchdowns, right? So it's like, um, but like <laughs> yes. yeah, just no, yeah, I know. Actually, this low-key though, Julio, <laughs> this could be a good touchdown <laughs> year for him because now he doesn't he's not getting that like number one or even yeah. number two coverage if if God wins in there. So uh, but but I digress, is there, but yeah.
1: Is there a chance Tom Brady finally falls off? No, is there a chance? There's not. no chance, impossible. No chance. Tom Brady's like impossible.
2: He's like he's like he's like the older Derek Jeter like it's just he's going to be good like he's never yeah, going to no get what. to that point like I, I i don't think so anyway i, I just haven't seen anything to suggest yeah. it like i mean this dude not only did he ball last year to finish as a QB2 but uh, he did it on like what over his... 700 attempts like this wow. like his arm is he, he threw he threw 47 more passes in the regular season than any other quarterback. I think I think he's at it. I. Yeah.
3: I don't think the GOAT's gonna fall off, but the <laughs> offensive line falling apart yeah, is definitely. A concern. Yeah, so that that is that, that could where, be an issue. Yeah, that's that where I'd have be have concern.
2: Um okay, yes. Yeah, so let's finish it up on this. Um TJ, I'll start with you. Who yeah. is your favorite tight end outside the top 12 in ADP?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, like I would take I would probably take all of the next <laughs> four guys go going after going after a second firemuth i'd probably take all the next four guys after them i'll just give you my most drafted one it's uh, been Alberto acoy i just i, I trust it in russell wilson um i, I like his athleticism do didn't even like start uh like there there's there's uh talk of dolce's coming in he didn't even start training camp active um rookie titans just don't pop like that alberto has has uh crazy metrics um, and had had like crazy efficiency in spurts now gets the most efficient quarterback in history. So uh, give me Alberto.
3: Yeah, I like me some Albert Okuwebunam as well. Uh, Sean, what about you? So since this is outside of the top 12, this is mostly like best ball. but um, I I like getting Hayden Hurst Mm -hmm. at uh, tight end 26. He was like tight end 32 for a while, but uh, he's creeping up. I still think he's a great target 26. I'm tight end 20, but Um, You know, last year he was stuck behind Kyle Pitts. So, you know, he finished tight end 38, didn't really stand a chance there. Uh, But he's essentially, you know, taking over the C.J. Uzoma role. Um, So he could, you know, have plenty of spiked weeks, great for best ball. Not worried about Drew Sample. He's more of a blocking tight end. But, uh, you know, Hayden Hurst, we have to remember, he's still a first-round talent. He's still in the prime of his career. I think he's more talented than Uzoma. And Uzoma was the tight end 19 last year. So I just love the upside you get. Uh, by having one of you know Joe Burrow's probably number four target um, most weeks, so love the upside you get with Hurst at tight end twenty six.
2: For me, it's uh, I, I like I like what you said about Albert. Oh, I, I love his uh, underlying metrics, so he's one of them. I, I think Irv Smith is another one, but the yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I'll mention Hunter Henry because I know TJ. You talked about like expected touchdowns; he's expected to regress, and I do agree. I think you know any tight end like you're going to expect regression when you have what was it nine touchdowns on seventy five targets, mm-hmm. but he was last year's tight end sixth tight end seven points per game. He was seventh among tight ends in red zone targets. And he's never finished lower than tight end 17 in his career. He was 12, 14, 8, 17, and then, and then, uh, six. So like he's going tight end 16. I think Mac Jones is going to take a big step forward. New England really doesn't have a clear touchdown guy at wide receiver. I mean, they have Parker, they have Myers. None of those guys have really been like touchdown makers, Kendrick Bourne. Uh, you know, so I still think Hunter Henry could like be one of those guys to sneak into the the top 10. And he's like, he's got that volume. He, I mean, he's got that those that consistency that a lot of these other tight ends don't have. And he is, he is kind of entering his prime years in, in terms of, uh you know, the age he's he's going to be 28 this year. So um, I'll go with Hunter Henry, but also like Alberto also like Irv Smith. So kind of, kind of what you TJ just like yeah. right after, you know, that, that top 12, I think you could make a case for just as many of those guys.
1: Yeah, Patriots are weird. Like I I, everyone like snickers at Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, but like the Patriots were the they they were last in neutral game script passing rate last Mm -hmm. year. And both Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, like people say like, oh Matt Patricia's defensive, like run heavy his teams were always like middle of the pack in neutral passing rates. So like if, if they bring that to New England and Mac Jones does take a leap, this is a team that was six and scoring last year. And everyone's acts like there's just no offensive upside. Like they could, they could score some points. They could be decent. I mean, I know they're like, it's, it's super ambiguous, but that's kind of good for us. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's like, and it's, you know, it's this is not a situation where it's like, Tyra Higby jumped into like the top six and then we're taking him as tight end six next year. It's right. like, Hunter Henry was tight end six and you get him at 16. It's like, yeah. I'll take the plunge at that spot. Um, all right. So yeah, that's, that's going to wrap it up. TJ really uh, appreciate you coming on and doing this, getting the DFS MVP, uh, yeah. a, a re- OG duo back together. Uh, tell everybody what you're up to uh, and where they can find you.
1: Yeah. All of my stuff. Uh, if you're looking at Twitter at TJ Hernandez, everything else is at four for four.com. Uh, uh, even though you guys are, are just getting in the flow of redraft in terms of the listeners, uh, this is actually where I transitioned to DFS. I've been heavy in the best ball streets, uh, but check out DFS MVP first episodes launching this week. Uh, still be talking a ton about redraft, especially best ball. But uh, if you're looking for, for DFS, whether it be preseason or just getting ready for the regular season, check out my Twitter, check out four for four. All
2: right. And you can find uh, Sean on Twitter at the underscore Ozmaker. You can find me at Chris Raybon. Uh, And you can find us at those same handles in the free award-winning Action Network app. Uh, Also, be sure to check out actionnetwork.com for our uh, season-long rankings. And uh, obviously, once we get into the season, we'll have our weekly rankings there as well. Uh, Until next episode, let's get this money.